Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Richard has said, we are turning to the book of Proverbs today and spending just one service dealing with the entire book, uh, which in one sense is a crazy thing to do or a crazy thing to attempt to do. You could say it's unwise, which is ironic, given that the book in question is primarily about wisdom. But although we're only going to scratch the surface of the 31 chapters, I really do hope and pray that each of us will be able to take something very tangible away from these next sort of 20, 25 minutes. Proverbs is an incredibly practical, down-to-earth book, which offers every single person in this church this morning, irrespective of age, definite guidance and help for streetways living. It is a book of everyday wisdom for everyday people. And so... uh, I was going to say if you have a Bible, but I've actually put the text on the screen this morning. But we're going to read the first seven verses together where we discover the purpose behind the book. And I'm going to read, or we're going to read together from a translation that I know a lot of you use, and that is the New Living. So, shall we stand together? I'll read the first verse, and then you read the second verse, and then I'll read the third verse. We're only reading seven verses. So let's stand together as we do this. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people to live a disciplined and successful life, to help them do what is right, just and fair. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Do take a seat. The reason behind this book is explicit according to verse 2 these proverbs were given to teach us wisdom and discipline which are two essential requirements for life now i know that at one level these two things overlap and are closely connected but what i want to do or try to do is split what i'm going to say into two parts and my two key points this morning are these wise up and sort your life out Or to put it slightly more politely, because that's offends some of you, uh, and less aggressively, get wisdom and develop discipline. Uh, So part one, let me ask you a question. Where do you go, or who do you turn to when you need wise counsel? Where do you go? Who do you turn to when you need sound advice? The truth is there are lots of people out there who want to share and dispense their advice. In fact, as someone has said, advice is the only commodity in the market where the supply always exceeds the demand. And what I want to do is I'm going to play a song, at least I hope I'm going to play a song. Now, we're going to have a go at this. I think, I, I think there may be a reason why it mightn't work, and then we'll switch things over. So just be patient, relax. We're all family together. Uh, but I'm going to play a song that was written and released about 12 years ago. Words are hopefully going to be on the screen. It's a song packed with advice. But is it good or is it bad? And how do you decide. Deep breath. Here goes, Simon. No, right. That makes sense. Let me go back one. 
Talk to the person beside you for a minute. They switch something over, okay? That's some wise advice. Go ahead. sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind. You will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they fade it. But trust me, in 20 years, you'll look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You are not as fat as you imagine. Don't worry about the future. Or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind, the kind that blindsides you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. Do one thing every day that scares you. Sing. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind. The race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Stretch. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. Maybe you'll marry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have children. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. Maybe you'll dance the funky chicken on your 75th wedding anniversary. Whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much or berate yourself either. Your choices are half chance. So are everybody else's. Enjoy your body. Use it every way you can. Don't be afraid of it or what other people think of it. It's the greatest instrument you'll ever own. Dance. Even if you have nowhere to do it but in your own living room. Read the directions, even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Get to know your parents. You never know when they'll be gone for good. Be nice to your siblings. Air your best link to your past and the people most likely to stick with you in the future. Understand that friends come and go, but 
with a precious few, you should hold on. Work hard to bridge the gaps in geography and lifestyle, because the older you get, the more you need the people you knew when you were young. Live in New York City once, but leave before it makes you hard. Live in Northern California once, but leave before it makes you soft. Travel. Accept certain inalienable truths. Prices will rise. Politicians will philander. You too will get old, and when you do, you'll fantasize that when you were young, prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Respect your elders. Don't expect anyone else to support you. Maybe you have a trust fund. Maybe you'll have a wealthy spouse. But you never know when either one might run out. Don't mess too much with your hair, or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. Be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts, and recycling it for more than it's worth. But trust me. On the sunscreen. Anyone just going to close in prayer? <laughs> I just I love that. I loved it when I heard it 12 years ago. I continue to love it. You see, the truth is that we all need advice. Nobody knows it all. And the book of Proverbs actually expresses this really bluntly. Fools think they need no advice, but the wise listen. To others, but the question is, who are you listening to? Baz Luhrmann, who wrote the sunscreen song. Well, why not listen to some of his advice? Some of it is brilliant. Friends, family, definitely, because it's often those who are closest to us and who know us better than anyone else who are best placed to speak into our lives and offer us wise advice. But one of the key places that we must turn to—it's the core reference point for discovering wisdom and advice as you negotiate your way through life—is this book of Proverbs. It really is an essential guidebook because locked up within those 31 chapters is divine wisdom, inspired advice, or if you like, God-given advice. And if you are to listen to the advice from Proverbs, but not just listen to it, actually take it on board, then it will make, or it has the potential to make, a significant difference to your life. As the late Derek Bingham wrote in his daily devotional book on Proverbs, if we would only heed its wisdom, it would not only change our hearts; it would also transform our whole quality of life. I'm not sure how familiar you are with this book. I, I don't know how often you dip into it. I don't know when was the last time you actually read a part of Proverbs, because this is how we learn to live. I don't know when the last time you, you engaged with it was. I was reading this week about the devotional life of Billy Graham, genuine giant of the Christian faith. And apparently, given that there are 31 days in most months and 31 chapters in Proverbs, 
he made a decision over 50 years ago to read one chapter of Proverbs every single day so that he would read through Proverbs every month, 12 times a year, because he was convinced it was that important for daily living and discipleship. And yet the number of Christians I come across who very rarely, if ever, read the book of Proverbs. When was the last time I read it? Proverbs is it's a great guidebook. But the thing is, it's unlike any other book in the Bible. There isn't an overall plan as such. It's best seen, it's not the only way it's seen, but it's best seen as a collection of sayings. Some are connected, some stand alone, some topics reoccur, some don't. Some sayings are repeated more than once. Some sayings are purely one-offs. But it's critical that you actually see the book as a vital resource for everyday life. It will affect how you relate to people. It will affect how you make decisions. It will impact how you discern situations, choose options, how you deal with temptation. It will have a huge effect on how you function as a family. It's all in here. In brief, Proverbs is an anthology or a compendium of sayings about life, character and conduct. And therefore, I suppose one of my key hopes for this morning, one of my main prayers for today, is to awaken or reawaken a genuine appetite for this piece of Old Testament literature. If if you've kind of like lost touch with Proverbs, then my hope just is this morning that you'll go away from here and you'll re-engage with it. Let me highlight some of the great advice that you do find. I mean, Richard's already highlighted some of of the advice that does make us smile. And the thing about so much of the advice is this. Whenever you hear it, you're tempted to think, well, listen, that's just common sense. But as the French philosopher Voltaire once said, common sense is not that common. And so here are just some examples of divine wisdom. Keep away from angry, short-tempered people. Brilliant Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the heat of an argument, don't betray confidences. This this stuff really is earthy and practical. Don't fail to correct your kids. My life verse, above all else, guard your heart for it affects everything else you do. Never abandon a friend. Don't praise yourself, let others do it. And then this one, yanking a dog's ears is as foolish as interfering in someone else's argument. It's brilliant. It is such great advice. So earthy, so practical, so relevant. But the, one, of the, one of the issues whenever you come to the book of Proverbs, and this is an important point to make, and this is where some people, in a sense, get confused with this. A lot of the advice you encounter in Proverbs comes along with what appears to be a guaranteed outcome if you do this. That if you buy into this advice, here's what happens. So, for example, direct your children onto the right path and when they are older they will not leave it. Is that always the case? Is it? 
Or do we not all know some sons and daughters who have chosen to walk a very different path from the one their parents urged them to travel along? Or what about Proverbs 28:19? A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. Is that always the case? Or are we not aware of some people who work hard and yet go hungry, whereas some daydreamers win five million quid in the lottery? And so as you interact with this book, it is important to recognize that this is not so much a book of pure promises as we understand that word. It's not a book of rigid rules about this is how life works, that if you direct your kids onto the right path, then they'll never veer off it. It's not about that. Instead, Proverbs simply tells us how life is meant to work most of the time. In a very real sense, what you're dealing with are principles, not guarantees. And that is, as I say, so many people have come unstuck on this point when it comes to reading Proverbs. But the overarching message and underlying foundational truth is that wisdom for life and wisdom in life is vital and it can be found and it can be lived out. How can it be lived out? Via Proverbs. But what exactly is this wisdom? Biblical wisdom, proverbial wisdom, the kind of wisdom that this book urges us to pursue, not only to pursue it, but to find it. And whenever you find it, it actually tells you, treasure it like gold and silver. And I know there are many people here this morning who have searched for this wisdom, found it, and do treasure it. And it has made a huge difference to their lives. And it actually has made a huge difference to other people's lives as they have lived in the wake of them. So what is this wisdom? Well, here's one of my, if not my favorite definition. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully from God's point of view in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. And the reason that I like that so much is because it implies that wisdom is an art form. It's an expressive thing. It's a skill. And I honestly believe it is. It is something that you grow and develop in. It is God-honoring. And it is all life-embracing. In other words, it can be applied to each and every situation that you find yourself in today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, the rest of your life. So take, for example, one of the most popular. Here's the most probably frequently quoted proverb and advice found in the book. It's the one that we write on cards. It's the one that we share at significant moments in people's lives. Who can tell me what it is? Yeah, exactly. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct. Or trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. See, the thing is, if you and I actually grab hold of that, now think about this with me. If you and I actually take that to heart, if you live it out, then you will indeed live well from God's perspective. You will. If you trust in God with all your heart, if you don't lean in your own understanding, if you acknowledge God in everything you do, then you will live well from God's perspective. As we tease this out a bit further, I think it is, it's often helpful when you come to Proverbs 
to look at what is presented as the opposite of wisdom. And the opposite of wisdom, according to Proverbs, is folly. And the opposite of a wise person is a fool. But the problem with the word fool is that we tend to have a particular understanding of it. And Richard's already touched on this. That a fool refers to someone who's maybe not too clever. Someone who is a bit stupid. But in Proverbs, a fool may be a person with an above average IQ. It may be even someone very successful from a human perspective. But what makes anyone a fool from the Bible's perspective is a person who chooses to ignore God's ways. A person who decides, I'm going to neglect God's wisdom. I'm going to make my own decisions in life. I'm going to trust my own instincts. I'm going to listen to popular opinion. And that's why, and I don't mean this in the way it sounds, that's why today you could say there are so many foolish people in our society. Because they're just choosing to neglect God's wisdom. And verse 7 highlights when it says, Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so pursuing a a sort of biblical God-infused wisdom really does make sense. But how do you go about doing it? If it's a skill, if it's an art form, if it's something you grow in and you develop, how do you go about getting it and then treasuring it? What does this book say about that? Well, it says something incredibly simple and straightforward. First half of verse 7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See, if you're ever going to get wisdom, if you're ever going to live out the inspired advice that we find in this book, then here is the starting point for every single human being. As Proverbs 9, 10 confirms, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And so unless that's in place, unless that is, if you like, dug deep into our lives, then there's little or no chance of any of us taking it any further. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? How do you go about acquiring that sort of mentality, that mindset, that attitude? Well, the importance of fearing the Lord is, is not just spoken of in Proverbs it's throughout Scripture, but it doesn't necessarily mean a cringing terror, although one of the things I would want to say is we must be very careful not to totally dismiss or rip out any sense of a frightening dimension to God. You know, there are times whenever God revealed himself to his people in ways that caused their hearts to beat a bit faster and their pulses to race a bit quicker. And one example of this is just after God had given Moses the Ten, the Ten Commandments, it says that whenever the people heard the thunder and saw the lightning and watched the smoke rose, it says they trembled with fear. And then it says they pleaded with Moses, don't let God speak to us directly or else we will die. So there clearly are times and were times whenever the fear of the Lord is a kind of as we understand that word, fear. And sometimes in our attempt to explain it differently, I think we rip out that particular dimension to it. But the key meaning, core meaning, in the vast majority of references, including most of the ones in Proverbs, is to know and observe a deep respect for God. Or to expand that a little further, it's this. The proper kind of fear is that which causes us to stand in awe, reverence, and respect. And that was the cry of the psalmist. Let the whole world fear the Lord 
and then let everyone stand in awe of him. And I suppose the question for us this morning as, as church people is how do we stand before God? Like do we stand, do I, I'm the speak person, do I stand before God in awe? God has revealed his character to us. His majesty, his holiness, his power, his grace, his mercy, his love. God has given us an insight into who he is. The question is, how do I respond? Or let's, let's bring this right. How have I responded this morning as Richard has led us so well in praise of this amazing God? How have I stood before God this morning? Distracted? Thinking of all sorts of, I don't know what number of things. critiquing Richard's leading how have I stood before God this morning in awe with reverence with respect because I honestly believe and as I say I'm speaking unless I grasp this and I keep grasping this and I need to keep grasping it because other distractions and other gods compete for my worship But unless I cultivate and maintain a proper fear of the Lord, I will struggle to ever develop and grow in wisdom. And therefore, I am more likely to react wrongly, foolishly, in all sorts of situations. Let let me tease this a little bit out because I believe it's so important. Proverbs 12, 16 says this, A fool is quick-tempered. A fool is quick-tempered. A wise person stays calm whenever they're insulted. Whenever someone insults you, how do you respond? You see, if I have a right view of God, and if I have a healthy fear of the Lord in place, then according to this book, I am going to respond in a way that is honourable and right. In a way that, in a sense, challenges the attitudes of others. But you see, if I am not in that place, if I am not standing in awe of God, if I am not developing a proper healthy fear of God, then do you know what's going to happen? When someone insults me, I'm going to bite back at them. It's this practical. It really is this practical. I'm going to bite back at them, voice off at them. But how do we, because this is all for me, if there is such a phrase, so spiritually practical. But how do we nurture a proper biblical life-changing fear of the Lord? How do you get to that place where you, whenever you, you stand here on a Sunday morning and you think of some of these words and you sing some of these words and you pray some of these words and you read some of Scripture, how, how do you get to that sort of like place of fearing the Lord? Well, there are many ways, but one suggestion, and this just ties in with our Essential Word series, immerse yourself in God's Word. And here's the reason I say that. You see, the fear of the Lord grows with a revelation of how magnificent he is. The fear of the Lord grows with a revelation of how magnificent he is. And that revelation is found through consistent engagement with Scripture. It's one of the key ways God reveals himself to us. It's not the only way, it's one of the key ways. Because as you read and as you reflect on the character of God as is revealed in his word, then your heart will be drawn towards a greater deeper understanding of his character and as you go to that place 
you will develop in your proper healthy fear of the Lord. Do you know on Wednesday night at the, at the prayer meeting, small group of us, but we started by listening again to Psalm 103, which Steve and Ray had led us through last Sunday night here. And as we, as a small group, read and reflected on that psalm, we realized that it tells us so much about God. And as we listened to it, and as we read it together, our hearts responded in prayer and praise. And many people, virtually everyone who was there, prayed. And I sensed that as people engaged with God's word, their fear of the Lord increased just that little bit out of that experience. So if you and I, or anyone else for that matter, is going to wise up, if we're going to get wisdom, then I want to suggest that the book of Proverbs is essential reading and a proper fear of the Lord is a foundational basis for its acquisition. Second point, final point, and I'm done. And it's very short, because I'm out of time. But the other thing I did want to say was like sort your life out or develop discipline because let's go back the purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline now discipline is a word that causes a reaction often a negative one and yet without discipline you probably won't stay fit or as healthy for as long as possible without discipline you're more likely to end up in debt without discipline you probably won't read your bible on a consistent basis Without discipline, you will lose contact with people who once meant a lot to you. Without discipline, you will miss deadlines. Without discipline, you will struggle with priorities. The list is endless. Biblically and proverbially, discipline is a life-enhancing quality. It is never a negative thing from a biblical point of view. Bill Hybels, in his book, Making Life Work, based on Proverbs, says this. When it comes to the work of living, Proverbs tells us that the most indispensable tool is discipline. And the reason that he says that is based on verse 3 of Proverbs 1. The purpose of these Proverbs is to teach people to live a disciplined life. And again, you know, remember, if you're, you kind of react negatively to this, remember verse 7. Fear of the Lord, beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and discipline so whenever I react badly to the issue of discipline I'm being foolish so what is discipline well you could spend the whole sermon on this but let me suggest that discipline is choosing to do certain things now in the immediate now things that cost things that hurt things that require effort and commitment recognizing that they lead to or create a better quality of life and relationships So, for example, studying for exams is not a lot of fun, but it's worth it in the end when you know that you've given it your best shot. Training in order to play competitive sport hurts, but the benefit on match day is obvious. Getting up earlier to read your Bible and pray is not easy for the majority of us, but the impact on your relationship with God is tangible. Scott Peck, in one of his books, writes about deferred gratification, which means accepting that discipline is often costly, but it's worth it in the end. And there is a great Icelandic proverb that says, he who lives without discipline dies without honor. Well, the book of Proverbs has been given to teach us discipline. 
It's been given to teach us how to live an honourable and disciplined life. And therefore, I urge you to take it to heart. So here's my two key points this morning. Wise up, sort your life out, get discipline, develop, get wisdom, develop discipline. How? Via Proverbs. And so here's my final recommendation. Why not add this book to your summer reading list? Alongside the other books that you read on holiday this year, why not include Proverbs? Why not a chapter a day? And if all else, remember to wear sunscreen.